everyone. Welcome back to the Bible Said What podcast. My name is Elizabeth. I'm your host. If you'd like to get to know a little bit more about me, a little bit more about the podcast, be sure you go check out our social media at Bible Said What with underscores between the words. Welcome back. Welcome to our first episode in 2024. We are going to get started today with a small little mini series on the book of Romans. Romans is one of my favorite books in like the entire Bible. I love how detailed Paul's explanations are. Just, oh, it is incredible. And you guys actually chose the book of Romans to go through way back in like October, maybe early November, whenever I was planning for different series that I wanted to do, I asked you guys, okay, what book of the Bible do y'all want to study? And I'll be honest, I was expecting like a James, you know, like a uh, first John, <laughs> where we can do like one chapter of the book per episode and get through it in a month. And I, I did put Romans as an option because it's my favorite book of the Bible. And apparently it's one of y'all's favorite too. But here's the thing with the book of Romans. The book of Romans has 16 chapters. As much as I would love to do a 16 part series on the book of Romans and just really deep dive into it. Maybe we'll do that across like, a, you know, we'll sprinkle it in every here and there. We'll sprinkle in a little bit of Romans, but I have so many amazing things planned for February and March. We have some awesome guests coming on the podcast that I am, oh my gosh, so excited to introduce you guys to. I have met the most amazing people through this podcast and I'm so thankful for that. The Lord has just, oh my goodness, his blessings never cease. But going back to the book of Romans, um, I would love to do a 16 part series, but because I have so many other things that I want to get to, we're going to break this down into three, maybe four episodes doing kind of an overview of the context of Romans and getting, of course, into the message of it. But this will definitely be more of an overview style of Bible study. And I'll be honest, whenever I do Bible studies, I prefer to pick out like one chapter max, you know, like a, a couple verses of scripture and really dive into those. But there is also a time and a place for knowing the context of what we're reading and knowing kind of an overview of the scripture. So that's what this is going to serve as, is more of an overview, more of a bigger picture. And I encourage you, highly, highly encourage you to get in the book of Romans for yourself and really, really break it down. One of the things that I've been using to study for this series is the Bible Project. If you don't know what the Bible Project is, you are missing out. I love it. My religion student nerd self goes crazy. They have an app, they have a YouTube channel, and basically it is, it's this guy, these two guys who break down so many, like I think pretty much every book in scripture, and they have just some awesome history lessons on there. They have a lot of podcast articles. Go check out the Bible Project. Highly, highly recommend, but I've used that to kind of study for this, this series, and I'm super excited for it. And so we're going to get into the context, the who, what, when, where, and why of Romans. We're going to talk about the literary breakdown of Romans because the book of Romans is a letter and letters have literary breakdowns. And then, of course, we're going to get into the message of Romans 1 through 3 today. So with that being said, let's get into it. To start off, before we even get into any of the scripture, we're going to talk about the context of the scripture. We're going to talk about the who, when, where, what, and why. So the who, 
I'm pretty sure we all know. It's literally the first word of the book of Romans. The who is Paul. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. Um, It's one of his epistles. Epistles are letters. And he's writing this on his way to do mission work in Spain. He introduces himself as a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Now, this letter was written about 25 years after the resurrection of Christ, so around 50 to 60 CE. And this was after the Jewish exile by Emperor Claudius. This is a very important detail to know. So what Emperor Claudius had done is he had exiled all of the Jews out of Rome. And this is, it's pretty soon after, it's roughly five to 10 years after this exile. And so What had happened is the Gentiles in Rome had begun to build their church while the Jews outside of Rome had begun to build theirs. And then the Jews are coming back into Rome and trying to become one unified church with the Gentiles, but they disagree on a lot of aspects of the law. That is why Romans has a lot of good details about things like faith versus works and, you know, God's righteousness and how we are saved through faith, because that was a big issue at the time was this debate between faith versus works as we would know it in their in their words it would be more like faith versus the law and of course we know the where is rome now of course that seems obvious but i want us to really think about the setting of like the time era in Rome during this time. So we know that whenever this gospel, or whenever this gospel, whoa, whenever this epistle was written, the world was dominated by a very empirical mindset. And Rome was the capital of that. I mean, there was a whole trend last, you know, last season about the whole Roman Empire on TikTok. That's because Rome was the capital of this empirical war-driven state of mind that the the world was dominated by. And so it's really important to remember as we're reading the book of Romans that the people reading this are completely used to a very brutal, a very harsh kind of treatment. And a treatment where the Romans demeaned anyone that showed any sign of weakness. Any weakness, anything like that was very, very much looked down upon. That's why Jesus's teachings were so radical during this time is because he did not teach um, by fear. He did not teach by, you know, your own power, your own strength. He taught by peace and gentleness. He described himself as gentle and lowly. And that was completely transformative to what the culture of society was teaching these people at the time, teaching them how to live and like what to be like. And the book of Romans is Paul's most extensive explanation of the gospel. And so as he's writing these things, it's really important to remember that these people reading this letter are probably being blown away. Like they know these things because they know the story of Christ and how he lived, how he died and rose again for our salvation. But as he's really breaking this down about how we are supposed to, you know, die to our flesh, how we're supposed to become servants, things like that was, it was, they were not used to thinking in that kind of way. And I've already talked a little bit about the why. So like I said, the why is to explain salvation, to really break down what it means to live as a Christian and also to explain the purpose of the law, to explain how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and how whenever we accept the gift of the Holy Spirit, the law becomes written on our hearts and we follow the Lord's uh, guidance and discernment through the Holy Spirit. And then of course we know the what is a letter. It is an epistle written to approximately six to 10 house churches in Rome. 
Okay, so getting into the literary breakdown of the letter of Romans, chapters one through four talks about how the gospel reveals God's righteousness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how everyone is equally broken because of our sin, because all of us are sinners. And it doesn't matter the good deeds that we do or the things that we produce. We are only saved through God's righteousness by how he provided salvation. Chapters five through eight talk about how the gospel creates a new humanity. So whenever we accept salvation, how we are made new in Christ and how we're supposed to live in a different way. Chapters nine through 11 talk about how the gospel fulfills God's promise to Israel. I love that section of Romans because it shows all the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament and just how all of the covenants connected into the new the new covenant that Jesus gives through salvation. And then chapters 12 through 16 show how the gospel unifies the church. And that's kind of the mic drop moment of Romans because at the end of the day, that is one of the main purposes of this letter is Paul wanted to encourage unity within the church between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. Okay, so now we're going to get into the message of Romans chapters 1 through 3. And like I said, this is a big chunk of scripture. I highly recommend going in yourself into your, into your Bible and breaking this down and praying through, you know, the Lord's guidance as you read and what he wants to reveal to you. But we're going to do an overview of the message of chapters 1 through 3. So right off the bat, Paul introduces himself as Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And then skipping down to verse 5, he says, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the whole first and honestly the second chapter are talking about unity and how basically the ground is level through salvation through Jesus. So he's telling he's telling the Jews, hey, just because you guys have the law, that does not mean that you are better than the Gentiles. That doesn't mean you are more perfected in any way because the law is not what refines you. The law is not what earns you salvation. And it's important to remember that before this, the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. They disagreed on a lot of things because the Jews had this kind of arrogance because they're like, oh, we follow the law. The Gentiles, they are unclean. And the Gentiles were like, we don't want anything to do with them. They're carrying around this holier than thou attitude and they don't want anything to do with us. So we don't want anything to do with them. So now Paul is saying, hey, Jews, you're not any better than the Gentiles and Gentiles, you are also called to the same faith through Christ Jesus because I love you. And both Jews and Gentiles, all of you guys belong to the same God. All of you are unified through the same Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind as we continue to read through here. In verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So that's where Paul is saying, hey, salvation is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone who wants to follow Christ because he equally created us and loves us all. So in the next about, let's see, the next verses, verses uh, 18 through, mm, it looks like 25. This is where 
Paul is giving the Jews a flashback. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, the Israelites were having their little merry-go-round cycle of falling into sin, calling out to God for repentance. The Lord would deliver them and then they would fall right back into sin and the cycle would continue and continue and continue. And it's really easy to read that and be like, the Israelites, like, how could you? How could you do that? You literally saw the Lord cut an ocean in half and guide your path by fire. And yet you still choose to worship a false idol. But we also do that in our lives. And I could do a whole other podcast on that. But we are going to stay focused on Romans today. But what Paul is doing in these uh, next in these next verses is he's reminding the Jews of their past to basically say, hey, you guys are fallen too. You also broke God's covenant and you broke God's heart. And so that is why you need salvation. You don't just need the law. Like in our lives too, this applies to us today. If we just think that we can earn God's love or earn God's salvation just by doing good things or by doing anything that we can produce, That's not going to get us anywhere because nothing on earth can sanctify us. There is no level of perfection in the world that we can reach to earn salvation with God. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is why you need this gospel. You you know the Gentiles need it because they haven't been following the law. They haven't been living as God has, has, you know, instructed them to. But you guys think that you don't need salvation, but you actually do. So that's what he's saying here. And I'm just going to skim over these very quickly. In verse 21, he says, he's reminding them of the Israelites in Genesis. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Skipping down to verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served things other than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's a hard pill to swallow. Like that is a smack in the face. But he also speaks to the Gentiles a little bit later and talks about how they they also need this salvation. Now we're going to skip over to chapter two. In chapter two, Paul is still talking to the Jews here and he's saying, hey, you are not the righteous judge. God is the righteous judge. And I know that this is super applicable in our culture, but also to me. This is very convicting for me because I'm a religion student. I have grown up in church my whole life. I went to a private Christian school. And y'all, it is so easy for me to slip into a prideful mindset of, I know it all. I've read the Bible through. I know, you know, I know all about scripture. I know all the history. And then, of course, the Lord corrects me every single time. But we're going to start reading in chapter two, verse one which says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Verse two, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? These verses very clearly highlight the difference between human judgment and God's judgment. Our human judgment is driven by pride and insecurity and jealousy, and it is intended to demean. The Lord's judgment, as this says, is rooted in kindness, 
patience and forbearance and is intended to lead us to repentance. God's righteousness, right, God's judgment is righteous. It is merciful. It is holy. It's set apart. And we're not going to be able to fully understand that because it is holy. But that is why Paul is saying, you as, as he says, mere human beings have no right to judge these Gentiles because your judgment is broken. Our judgment is rooted in all of these earthly things. Let God be the judge because his judgment is perfect. His judgment is holy and set apart. Skipping down to verse 11, it says clear as day, for God does not show favoritism. So God is basically saying, hey, Jews, you are just as broken as the Gentiles and all of you need salvation. So skipping down to verse 14, I think verse 14 is very interesting because it begins to introduce how the Holy Spirit interacts with the law in our hearts. Because as we know, the Gentiles didn't have the law. And Paul is addressing that here. He says in verse 14, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required of the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. So basically what Paul is saying here is he's saying the Holy Spirit, whenever they accepted salvation, the Holy Spirit became the moral guide for their lives because the law did present a right way to live for the Jews. It presented a way that the Lord wanted them to to live and to conduct themselves. And so the Gentiles didn't have the law, but they naturally did the things required by the law that pleased God. Because whenever they accepted salvation, the Holy Spirit became their kind of moral compass. And we see that in our lives too. Whenever we accept the Holy Spirit, when we accept salvation, everything changes. There's so many testimonies and stories about how people were living one way of life that was completely of the world and completely, you know, sinful. But then whenever they accept Jesus, all of their desires change. And that is because the interaction of the Holy Spirit completely changes our hearts. One of the coolest, one of the coolest things that I've seen of of the Lord working in my heart is whenever you have sinful desires, we're broken people. That's going to happen. Whenever you have those sinful desires, instead of pretending like the Lord isn't completely omniscient and running away from him, go to the Lord with your sin and ask him to change your desires. I was in my Bible study like a couple weeks ago and we were talking through the Ten Commandments. And while we were talking about one of the Ten Commandments, there was a girl in my Bible study talking about this exact thing. And I love the way that she phrased it. She said, y'all, sometimes I pray, I pray, Lord, the things I'm thinking are sinful as heck, but I don't want to be thinking them. And I was like, Yes, that is exactly what our heart posture should be when it comes to sin. Instead of running from from the Lord, whenever we feel these, you know, shameful thoughts, going to the Lord, laying it th- laying them at his feet and saying, "Hey, I don't want to deal with this burden." And instead, let your Holy Spirit come into my heart and guide me. Allow him to convict me and allow him to completely just change change the things that I desire. So, that was a bit of a tangent. However, what Paul is saying with this part of scripture is, hey, Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law provided a right way for you guys to live. But whenever you accept the Holy Spirit in your hearts, you naturally do those things that the law required. That was that was a bit of a tangent. I hope that made sense. It made sense in my brain. <laughs> 
So now we're going to move on to chapter three. And chapter three is all about how we can't earn salvation and how we are saved through God's righteousness. So in verse nine, Paul begins to talk about how no one is righteous. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and the Gentiles are alike all under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God all have turned away. Skipping down to verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so there, Paul is saying, I mean, exactly what he says. No one can reach righteousness in God's eyes through simply doing the works of the law, but through the law, we do become conscious of our sin. So the law pointed out inconsistencies in the way that we should be living as Christians or how this church should be living as Christians. So continuing on talking about God's sovereign righteousness, I, I think this this next section of scripture that I'm about to read are my favorite verses in Romans because it is just clear as day, the goodness of God. In verse 22, it says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Therefore, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Mic drop moment in the middle of the book of Romans. I mean, this is pretty self-explanatory here. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This just shows the sovereignty of God that no, we cannot earn our salvation, but God is so great and loving that he sent his son Jesus. And whenever we believe in Jesus, that gift of salvation is completely free to anyone who believes. Going to verse 27, it says, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So here, once again, Paul is reiterating, hey, we are not saved by anything that is of our own power. We are saved through the sovereign righteousness of the Lord who sent Jesus to become our salvation. Now, there is the big conversation of faith versus works within Christianity and what role do good deeds play in the role of a believer? And works are a product of the Lord's overflow in our lives. So works are the fruit that we produce because we live as Jesus did and we reflect God's love. Works allow us to steward the world that the Lord gave us to have dominion over. As I talk about all the time, <laughs> I work a summer camp in the summers and we do mission work with that camp. And this summer I was in Texas and I had the amazing opportunity to work with this awesome nonprofit in Texas. And every week I would bring my kids, you know, cause I got a new group of students every week. I'd bring my kids to this nonprofit and they would kind of debrief us on why they do what they do. And this, this nonprofit provides for so many different aspects of people's needs. They have a food pantry type deal. What we did is we went to low income areas and did VBSs. So childcare, they helped people with medical services. They did so much for that community and providing for their, for their needs. But 
One of the things they said to my students that I just loved is they said, it's hard to hear that Jesus loves you when you don't know when your next meal is. It's hard to hear that Jesus loves you when it's freezing outside and your child doesn't have a coat. It's hard to hear that Jesus loves you whenever you're having a crisis and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And so that is that I feel like that really explains how we are called to be salt and light through the love of Jesus. We aren't supposed to avoid the brokenness of the world, but to be in the world and yet not of it. And we are to be salt and light. And the fruit that we produce is that light that illuminates the darkness of the world. But that's not what saves us. What saves us is faith and a relationship with Jesus because that's what we were initially created for. We were created to live in relationship with the Lord. We sin and we broke we broke that covenant with the Lord. And so he sent Jesus to come and to redeem us and to save us. And that is free for anybody who believes. As Paul is saying in in Romans, whether you're Jews, whether you're Gentiles, we are all alike under the power of sin. We all have equal need for the Lord's redemption. And it's available to everyone. It's available to anyone who believes. Um, And we all need that. And whenever we accept the gift of the Holy Spirit, that guidance of the law becomes written on our hearts. And those things that the law wrote out become natural because we have the conviction and the guidance and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And when we have the works of the Holy Spirit, that is the fruit that we produce that allows us to be salt and light, as Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. So that is all for this episode. I know that was a very vast run through of the first three chapters of Romans, um, feeling like, you know, running like a chicken with our head cut off. However, I hope that this gives you a, a context that you can now take and read read deeper into the book of Romans. So I'm really excited to continue with the rest of the book of Romans. As you can see, I have all my pretty little, pretty little highlights on my notes. And yeah, I'm really excited to continue into this study with you guys. So we'll see you in the next episode. I hope that you have an amazing week.